Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Cinema Files Radio. I'm your host, Steve Pisa. Thanks so much for joining us today. How's everybody's week? Give us a call, 515-602-9609. Let me know how everything's going in your life. How does it feel being bunkered in? We're all on quarantine. We're all at home doing our thing. I hope that you're writing that novel that you've been planning on writing. You're writing that screenplay you've been wishing you could write. Loving the people around you. This is a good time for reflection. Looking at your life. Putting things into perspective. Today we have Dell Weston on. Producer, director, actor. He runs movie festivals as well. Full disclosure, I've been part of his film festivals before. It was a lot of fun. Have you watched any uh, great shows lately? I'm sure you've watched a thousand great shows. This past two weeks, three weeks. For me, it's Grace and Frankie. I love that show. I'm addicted to that show. I've always been a huge fan of Lily Tomlin myself. Lily Tomlin, I remember watching her in The Incredible Shrinking Woman. I think the last movie I saw her in was I Heart Huckabees, which was a debacle, to say the least. Good movie, though, but, man, David O. Russell, I, I would hate to see him angry. Because he said that he was not angry when he was yelling at people, but that looked, that looked mentally unhealthy. Anyways, Grace and Frankie's a great show. I, I think they have six seasons. I'm on season four and a half. Great show. A lot of new changes for The Mandalorian coming pretty soon. We're going to see that in the fall. Well, look at that. I think we have Del Weston on, on the line right now. Let's, let's get straight to him see how he's doing. Oh, Dell, is that you? That is me, young man. How are you? <laughs> how are you doing, my friend? Sounds like you, sounds like you have some of my fans out there. Very few. <laughs> They're all clapping for you, my friend. They're clapping for Wow, that sounds like my second ex-wife in the family the day I left. It's amazing. <laughs> They're the ones who are booing right there. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, it's you, you know. <laughs> Gotta take the bad with the good. 
<laughs> yeah, that's right. That sounds like the tune of, <laughs> of, of the mood of the country right now. You got to take the good with the bad. You know, well, before you know we what? start it's off, bad. it's not bad. It's just not bad. It could be worse. It could it could it be, be worse, worse really fast. Yeah. Well, before yeah. we start yep. off, you know, let, let me ask you, how are you doing? How is your family doing in, in this tumultuous time? We are a, you know, we were almost preppers to begin with. We, we, we stay in our home 90% of the time. We did a little chart before hmm. this thing happened. And so um, this is nothing now. This is fine. We were a very close-knit family. The kids are homeschooled. Yeah. And, wow. you know, we, we kind of have our own little thing going. So I, I think the change to our life literally has been zero, with the exception to the effect that I, I can't find a good Basmati rice in the markets right now, but other than that, everything's good. I'm not kidding. I'm serious. No, I'm, 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 I'm with you. I, I brought home a bag of rice and somebody asked, why, why are you buying rice? I'm like, are you joking? <laughs> are you, yeah. You, seriously. you know? Yeah. So I, yeah, I can't find a, a roll of toilet paper anywhere. It, it's incredible. That's weird because I'm in Vegas and I went yeah. shopping last weekend and we usually do shopping for seven to 10 days at a time. And, you know, we got everything we want. We could not find some Lysol, which I was a little bit disappointing. Right. And we could not find uh, the cut of meat we wanted. But other than that, you know, it was orderly. People were fine. We, yeah. I did see a few people hoarding who I wanted to slap right across the face. But then again, <laughs> you've got to be careful because that person might be buying food for 20 orphans from Paraguay. Right. You don't know. Right. I, I doubt right. it. But you don't know. There's no way to know. They could be you buying for their next-door neighbors. You, you really do not yeah, know what people are doing. Yeah, they neighbors or a church. You know, you don't know. Right. So you, you don't know. Mouth shut. And of course, yeah. of course, there are some weasels out there, you know. Yeah. But yeah. what are you going to do with that? Well, I saw, I saw the, you know, for me, I saw the most, most thing people were hoarding was wine. <laughs> Everybody. I mean, That's I, a good I, thing. I knew, <laughs> you wine want to is, no, good wine and Wine and weed. I see the the, the the weed stores are still open and I know. people are queuing up like there's no tomorrow. But I think that's a coping mechanism and not necessarily an addiction. Because right. people are so scared now. I mean, they're really shaking. And I've never seen anything like this. First of all, none right. of us have. People are very I, – I, I, it's, it's funny to see almost because if you pay attention to everything you've been given, sometimes you understand tough times are going to come. Tough times don't last. Tough people do. Right. That's just a fact. Right. That's a fact. fact. Right. Tough people and roaches. <laughs> I think so. You know, and evil people. Evil people seem to, to live forever. Oh, my God. Don't get me started, man. Don't get me started. <laughs> I'll tell you, because I got a list over here. And by the way, I know I'm on a bunch of people's lists. But here's the thing. I don't really care. <laughs> it's the ones that I think that are evil that matter. Those sons of guns. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I know. So, so have you always lived in, in Las Vegas? Were, were you born in Las Vegas? Where no, were you no, born? no. We, we, you know, we, we run the action on film festivals. And right. when I was in LA, we had come, two things came to, to bear on me. One was that um, LA became and was becoming kind of a slum town. And I don't mean right. that in a, in a, in a way of talking about homeless. I mean, people in LA just changed and you're in a very cruel city where half the population wants to control the other half, and the other half literally wants to be controlled. You know, they want to be told right. what to do, where to go, when to be there, and they'll let anybody, you know, I think about the Robert De Niro rant on the secretary. I saw right. so much of that, right? I saw right. so much of that stuff. You're like, are you kidding with me? And then people began to try to treat me that way. I said, wow, that's a little bit different. I'm, you know, I, I'm used to nothing, so having 
a little something come my way doesn't bother me, right? Right. Because when you when you can get along with nothing, then nothing really gets to you. But I saw that the cruelty of some of the people I was working with was really just amazing. And then we had the opportunity to move the festival to Las Vegas. And I said, you know, I'd rather be in a place where I know um, what I'm dealing with than a place like L.A. where there's no way my kids are going to know how people feel about them. They're, they're both biracial. Right. And we had a horrible situation at a private school where the, my son is, 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 has red hair down the middle of his back and beautiful pale skin, and my daughter's more ethnic. Right. But they were treating my son like a little king, and they didn't know he was related to her, and they were treating her very badly. And I got to oh. tell you, I, I, went up to the, I went to the school, and I said, listen, you know, Jesus is going to step out for about seven and a half minutes while we talk. And um, <laughs> right. I made sure they understood, you know, there's, there's some things you do not do. But then right. I looked at the situation, found out that a lot of the teachers in private schools um, are not accredited. You know, you've got right. someone's grandmother teaching a, a first. But that's not the, you know, come on now. Right. That, that's very I love grandmothers. That, that, but, yeah, that's pretty, well, that's that's pretty horrible. That's yeah. L.A. Yeah. That's L.A. And then you have this, this horrible ability for people in L.A. really not to care for others, man. I mean, it's a very, very strange place. Very strange. Hmm. Were you, born in LA? It, Were you born in L.A.? Oh, no. no. I'm, I'm from back east, man. I was born in Milwaukee. Proud cheese. Oh, I was born man. in Milwaukee? Jeez. Yeah, baby. <laughs> so it was foreign to me anyway because, you know, you go there, and I got to tell you, to be successful in LA, you got to either be one of two things. You got to be right. somebody's heir, right? Right. Who has a little advantage. Or heir you got to be somebody who's willing to step on, or step on a lot of people to get where you want to go. And it's not necessarily what? that way in other parts of the world. Which is a which is a lot of people, you know. There's a there's an old yeah. saying that people used to use, which is, "It doesn't matter that I win; it matters that you lose." And I used to think that that, that was the most the, horrible thing I've ever heard in my entire yeah. life. That you hit it right on the head. I have clients from a certain part of the world, and I've dealt with them for a number of years. And, and one day, the guy said, "Can I talk to you for a second? And I said, "Yeah." He said, "Why are you always smiling?" I said, "I'm happy." He goes, "It gives the wrong impression." Let me tell you something. We're in the business of I win, you lose, and you need to adopt mm. that. And I'm like, hang on a second, Slick. What? And I, I don't live like you live. I don't, I don't hate like you hate. And right. you have to be very careful with people because they, do, they want you to be the way they are to approve and, and, and allow their behavior to continue. And I think L.A. is one of those places where you compromise. You know, you compromise every day. And I, right. don't, I don't like the thought of that. I really don't. No, I don't either. No, I mean, when you have when you have children, it, it changes the perspective. Yep, hundred percent. Because you're not. I, I've noticed I've kept my mouth a, a lot more quiet after having children at a late age than I did early on. You know, right. I only have two kids. I had them when I was in my mid forties. So, you know, that's older or too old to begin with. But at the same time, <laughs> there's a maturity that came with that age that allowed me, I right. think, to give them a little better you know, a launch pad than, uh, than I would have if I'd done it when I was younger. Right. You have the wisdom to back it up now. No, I have the common sense to keep my mouth shut. That's the wisdom <laughs> of that. You know, if, most, if most people would just shut up, I'm telling you, man, if, yes. you know, if you could just avoid crossing, you know, my, my grandmother had a poem. I don't know if she wrote it or not, but it, the poem went, um, when day is done, if I can say I gave the world my best today, if I can ponder without dread the things I've done, the things I've said, 
And that has stuck with me since I was three years old when I heard it the right. first time. And it's always about what was the residual of you after you left the room or the conversation or the Skype or the phone call, whatever. What was the residual effect of you, right. positive or negative? And I wanted to be more positive than I wanted to be negative. Right. That's wonderful. You know, for me, I, I, I always... getting this I, phone call right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know for, for me, I, I couldn't keep my mouth shut throughout a lot, large part of my life. And when I adopted the, you know, keep your mouth shut and, and, and let's just keep, keep your cool, that's when I found my life yeah. was very good. And I really enjoyed 100%. myself. Yeah. Yeah. I wish, I wish yeah, more people you, adopted that. Go ahead. Well, we don't know everything. That's the problem. Right. And we think we do. In our little tiny microcosm of a, of a history, we seem to think that we've adopted this inner knowledge of all workings of all things. And that's why I hate to hear these pundits and experts that you find on, on social media who, I know what he's doing, and they're going to do this. You don't know, Jack. You haven't been in one private meeting. You haven't been in the war room. You, haven't, you don't have all the facts. How do you know? And then that's the problem. They don't know, but they want everyone to think they do. And that's a really tough place for young people who haven't had their minds developed yet to be. Because they're being pushed in every direction by every right. source of influence. And that's what, you know, yeah, yeah, that's where it gets tough. I, I see the younger generation right now in total chaos. They, they don't know what to yes. do, you know, it, with, with the information that they have, with TikTok and yeah. All kinds of social media and going on right now. It, yeah. 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 It's re, it's really driving them almost insane. I mean, I'm so I'm so glad that our generation did not have that. I'm gonna tell you a story, man. When I you know, you ever played tetherball in school? Absolutely. When you were young? Okay, so oh, yeah. we there was nine of there was nine of us when I was growing up and we were just animals. And so one day we decided that to pull the pole down was the smartest thing we could figure out. So you got nine kids wrenching this pole after they pull the ball and the string off back and forth until it breaks off in the ground. Well, no one considers it until six weeks later when we're playing football in the backyard. And I get pushed by one of my brothers, and I fall exactly where that jagged sticking pole is out of the ground and goes Ooh. right through my right knee. And I'm stuck on that pole. It's right through my knee. Wow. And I'm about seven years old. My brother, one of my brothers, the older, pulls me off of that peg and says, get off the field, you're injured. Like as if he's the biggest rep in the NFL, right? Right. He's 12 years old. So I try to get to the front of the house, but I'm bleeding pretty badly, but I'm by myself. And my mom pulls up from work and she sees me standing, I'm bleeding. I'm, I'm not crying because I don't want to get beating for crying, but I'm in a lot of pain. She puts me in the car. I swear to you, this is true. She puts me in the car, drives me to thrifty drugs gets a bottle of alcohol and some gauze wrap. She pours the alcohol on my knee. Get out of here. And, said, and told me, walk it off. I am so <laughs> glad that that happened because life now, a lot of us are going to find our knees impaled on little spikes. Right. And we're going to say, what do, what do I do now? And 90% of them are going to put their hands in the air and go to social media and cry and scream and demand free right. checks. All that stuff, right? All that stuff that they didn't learn to cope with when they were kids. <laughs> That's a tough place to be, man. That's you, a you tough know, there's, place there's, to there's something about, you know, having a tough upbringing and, you know, being a last yep. child or, or, or really having kind of a suffering upbringing that really allows you to, to understand how to get through these moments in our lives. Yep. There's nothing like little adversity to show you that there is a tomorrow. 
Yeah. Nothing like a little adversity. Because everyone right. thinks the world, I always feel like, oh, it's going to end. This is the end of the world. Well, you know why you're afraid of the end of the world? Because you have no credit built up. You have right. nothing built up. It's just you and your wants and your needs and your phone. And is he looking at me? Oh, by the way, let's go on Tinder today. I need to meet 15 guys in the next two hours. You know, there's a problem there. Right. And until you recognize that, well, you know, it's an issue. It's going to be, it's going to be tough for you. Do? Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. Now, have you always wanted to be, you know, because you're a cinematographer, you're an actor, you're, you're a producer. I mean, you've done so many things in Hollywood. And, have you I, always and I'm sexy. <laughs> and I'm you know it. Sexy, and well, I'm the only one, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are married, so you, 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 at least somebody well, else got that. Listen, listen that, that, the fact that she drank and was uh, passed out when that happened has nothing to do with her choice. <laughs> has nothing to do with it. That's just a sidebar. Nothing to do with it. It's a sidebar. <laughs> I don't know how I got it, but I did. Well, that's a good thing that people are blind sometimes. <laughs> and have poor olfactory senses. That's the other that's thing that right. helps me out. I'll tell you. I tell you, love is, love is blind, and thank God. Thank God. <laughs> Thank God they don't get glasses. Thank God. <laughs> Happy Sunday, baby. Happy Sunday. So have you, have you always wanted to be in, in this field? Uh, like when you're a seven-year-old, no. you know, when no. that takes you your leg, no. I mean, no. your knee? No, 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 no. Um, when I was uh, 17, I was walking past a, cat, a classroom in my high school, and I heard these two kids arguing, right? And they were having a vicious argument. But in my mind, I wanted to walk past knowing that Jerry Springer would have a show 15 years later that would run forever. I had right. to look into the room to catch the, the beginnings of, 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 the, of the anger and hatred that men and women could show to each other. And so right. I poked my head in the room, and these two were just going. And then I hear a third voice from a person I didn't see. And she simply, simply said, Scene, and they stopped. Hmm. And then I realized they were in a play, and they were rehearsing for a play, and they were working a scene. I didn't know any of those terms, but I understood that something different had just unlocked in me. You know, you get that little snap sometimes in your life when you're you're shown something that you didn't expect to see, or you have an epiphany of some kind. I like to call it a little snap to the soul. So if the rubber band was a soul, and you pulled it back and it snaps, you were awakened in that moment. So this, this little thing snaps in me. And I said, that's what I'm going to do. Hmm. And I walked away, and I never said another word, and I went home and I began writing a novel called Taravo. And I don't know where it hmm. came from other than the Stanley Clark music that was playing on the stereo, his uh, okay. I Want to Play for You album. But something happened, and I began writing and writing and writing, and then I thought I wanted to be a writer. And um, then I had another opportunity to have the same type of experience uh, when I passed by a movie set and I met Sally Field and somebody said, man, I have to put a oh, camera on her, among right. other things. I don't know if people understand just how beautiful Sally Field was. I'm oh. sure she's wonderful now. But, you she, know, was but when she, she was a knockout. Man, when I saw her, I thought to myself, hmm, and the Lord has spoken. That's all I could well, think. I pictured her, I, remember, I pictured her as a flying nun, not just Sally. Or, or, or Gidget. Because right? a lot of people don't remember. She used, she used to fly around in that habit. 
And freaky little kids like me were waiting for something to fall off. You know, a cash surplus, <laughs> something had to drop, right? I'm not well, sure, for, but something's going to fall off today. <laughs> for me, it was always Gidget. You know, Gidget was was always one of those shows that I just, you know, she was always in the like little bikinis, do you know, on the long that board. Yeah, I just loved yeah, her so see, much. See, you were lucky. You had enough self confidence and self esteem to know that you could look at a girl in a bikini and feel good about yourself. Yeah. Me being a Catholic at the time, going to a parochial school, having a tough upbringing, I like it when they're when they're covered up. Less shame. Oh, Oh, I was, I was, I was, I was a Catholic when it, when I, in my upbringing, I went to private school as well, but, but nothing could stop my perversions. I'll tell you that. Well, I'll tell you that. By much. the way, by the way, let's, let's be clear. The Catholic church is a perversion. So, you know, yes. you, were part, you were, you were knee deep in it. You just didn't know it. You were perverse. Exactly. I was an altar boy if too. You so. confession, let me tell you, if confession went the other way, you'd have killed the priest on the spot. I'm telling you. He could do it. That's just what it is. Come on now, please. These people. I, I love they were in Smokey the Bandit as well. She was fantastic. Oh. So you, she, you saw you saw her on on set, and she's wonderful. No, I so saw what, her. We went. I had gone past a movie set, and we went to a store. It was it used to be a set of stores in California called Von Teller, and it was yeah. a French like a retailer, the precursor I think to um, Nordstrom's. And we went there, and she was trying to get into her car, and me with my little bald head, I'm looking up at her, and I knew who she was, and, and she looked down and smiled at me. And I got to tell you, I, I wow. kind of understood a little bit more about life. I, I, it, it was like, um, I guess if you, were, if you were a worshiper of Buddha, and one day Buddha reached down and touched your cheek as he watched you maim a dog for lunch, you know what I mean? Right. He forgives right. you. And she gave me that. She It's like she forgave me almost. And by the way, that wasn't a racist comment. I just don't like people who eat dogs on any level. So I'm not talking about – I didn't say any culture. I'm not a racist except for a little there's bit. A lot of cultures, there's a I'm, lot of cultures that eat dogs. I, I wouldn't worry about I it so don't, much. I get dogs. I don't like people. I just don't. I'm sorry. I know yeah, you're hungry, yeah. but, you know, find a buffalo. For and Native, Native Americans used to eat dogs, so, you know. Listen, you can never say anything about a Native American, and I don't. I don't think anyone in the world should ever, ever, ever be allowed to say jack about an American Indian because yeah. those people were the. They were like you ever heard of the Promise Keepers in religious circles? Sure. The the Indians were the ones who were treated by the Promise Breakers. I mean, every <laughs> single promise made. Just and they're like, okay, we'll take it. They're like, okay, here you go. Uh, uh, it never came. Yes, never coming. Okay, I got another deal for you. Okay, we'll take it. Uh, it never came. Yeah, uh, we got another promise for you. Okay, I'll take it. Oh my God, leave right. them. Leave those people alone. I don't care. Right. They can do whatever they want. I give them what they want. Everything. So Sally, so Ugh. Sally feels looks you in the eye, and, and you get mm. this this moment, mm. this eye opening moment there. How, how does that play along with, with, your, with your new field of, of what you're interested in? Well, it's an awakening. And so, I, and, you know, I've been writing for quite a while. I began drawing pictures. I didn't have a camera at the time. Nobody had a camera. That they could right. Nobody had a camera about. at that time. So I began, yeah. I began trying to become an animator. But little did I know that my art was horrible. I didn't know. <laughs> Until one day, my, mother, my, my stepdad came and I was drawing a, an image from a Frank Rosetta drawing. And he, he, this guy's about six, seven, six, eight. He says, you know you're never going to be an artist. You just ain't good enough. Ooh. And I'm sitting there about 13 years old, and, I, and I'm looking at this guy. And I remember very clearly, because he was a giant. And I looked up mm. and I said, F, F you, Ted. F wow. 
<laughs> but I didn't use the whole word. I just said F. Because right. inside me, something so great had been done that I didn't, I didn't have a way to stop it. Right. And I didn't want to stop it. So that led to animation. Then in college, I studied animation. And then uh, after college, I made my first movie, the, the, the most horrible film in the world. It's called uh, Painless George. Great story, horrible nice. execution. And then I made three or four shorts, absolutely horrible. And then I got a job at Starbucks, and, and, and this, I was with a guy who just paid 200000 for his, his three years in film school. And he said, yes, I'm working on funding for a movie of $30 million. I said, well, I've made three features and nine shorts. He said, well, you don't know what you're doing. Uh, I know what I'm doing. And, oh, okay. I, and I never forgot that for a moment because we both were standing at the, at the bar at, at Starbucks. You're not right. better than me, sir. And that's right. the attitude I think you get a lot of in L.A., whereas people who can actually do something are vilified. People who have a pedigree and connections have an easier way. And, right. you know, you're going to have to balance how you, how you move in the future based right. on those things because, you know, for sororities and fraternities exist for a reason. You know, so so this, guy thought he was better, a reason. this guy thought he was better than you because he had a $200,000 in debt for his student, Loan, student loans. Yeah, but even that knowledge is important because I always tell people that, that submit to my film festival, I always tell them this, your competition is not that guy like you who was born 300 miles away and it has the same circumstances or that young girl who's just discovered that her eye for composition is amazing. Your competition is ABC, NBC, CBS, and don't ever forget that. Because right. the moment you begin to defer down to what you could be as opposed to reach, reaching up for what you could be, you've made a great error. And this guy really thought that because he'd been in a privileged situation, um, that he was better than everyone who came in that store. And I used to laugh at him when he'd pick up a mop. I'd say, hey, man, you're so much better than that guy who just bought that coffee with that mop in your hand. And it would drive <laughs> him nuts. It would make him – because the truth is the truth. We're all playing. Right. Like today, you know, this coronavirus thing – we're all equal today. I don't care whether right. you're a billionaire or you're, you have nothing in your mouth. You are right. staying inside today, quietly in front of your computer screen or TV. We're all equal today. Yeah, We're money can't equal. buy you a cure. No, it can buy you a bunker, but then again, who wants to be with you in that bunker? Nobody. Right. If you can yeah. afford a bunker, nobody wants to be with you, trust me. Nobody you right. want in there wants to be with you because you're the guy who's, safe, who's keeping them alive. You know, this is right. my bunker, honey. <laughs> right, right. How about, you know, I, how about I kill you and I become the king? Silly <laughs> son of a gun. Well, in the jurors, uh, we have we have a lot of movies that are eighty million dollar movies right now that are on the shelf until this whole thing blows over. No, so, look at, yeah, the, the James Bond film. You know, look at that yeah. man. This thing killed it. All the and all the ones that were coming out for release. I'm not I'm not a big fan of Elizabeth Moss or The Invisible Man, but yeah. you know that film had to be ravaged by this thing. Oh, right, it comes out right at the epicenter of this thing. Right. You know, wow. It, it, it was, it was cannibalized. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm, I'm not That's a huge fan we, either, but I, I did want to see that film, and it came out at the worst time ever. Worst possible. I love her show, the first season of The Handmaid's Tale. I think she's amazing in that. And then yeah. I think it just evolved into Women Hate Men and uh, You Stop Controlling Us, which is, to me, complete garbage. But then again, what do I know? My wife I never, I, I never watched it. I never watched the show myself. I never read the books. The uh, first season, absolutely amazing. I read the book when I was a kid. When I was 13, 14 years old. I read that book, which is very advanced for a young person. But 
As I right. said, I was immersed in, in, in the reading of everything I could get my hands on. And I, even then, I thought to myself, is that really how women see men? Is that really how they see men? Because I can't, I can't believe it. I, I, I'm, I've been led by so many women that I have a, you know, a leash ready whenever one walks by. I don't understand the thought that, that men have such control, especially in this day and age. Right, they don't. In this day and age. They don't they have don't. that much control. I, no. I, I know they think they do, but they don't. You know. Well, it's interesting. They I just, just saw don't. a bombshell, and, and you know, it, it's interesting that these women did not believe or, or think of themselves as feminists as all, at all, but they started the Me Too movement. So it, it's very inter- it doesn't really well, matter what you think of yourself. You know, what you, yeah. what you start, it becomes something what it is. So it's, 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 yeah, it's an incredible it does, film. It does yeah, it does evolve. So, so way, you're, you're, listen, yeah. that's a different thing. That's a sex thing. So that's a different yeah. thing. Yeah. I understood that Roger Ailes looked like Jabba the Hutt when he takes his clothes off. And I have no enemy or friend of Roger Ailes. I'm just saying. Right. The way they right. played him as a big Jabba the Hutt guy from there. You have to want to engage with him. Well, my career, if you're good in your career, go to the station next door. You don't have to work here. And I'm not yeah. putting women down for that. I'm just simply saying that we all make choices when we do something. I had to go through things as a minority that a lot of people have never had to go through. You know, right. I was at Universal once for a job interview. They called me through five di- five days of jobs interview for the for, to run the the um, the um, uh, food and beverage at Universal um, Studios. And so mm. on the fourth day, they took me to the president of Universal, the guy who was running the, the entire park. And uh, I said, hey, can I tell you, ask you a question? He says, yeah. I said, you have no intention of hiring me, do you? He said, what? I said, you have no intention of hiring me. And he says, you're right. I said, I know I'm right. I said, you hiring from inside? He said, yeah. I said, white guy? He said, yeah. I said, but you had to run me through the process, didn't you? He said, pretty much. I said, have a nice day. And I walked out. Now, to most people, they would go, oh, screw you. At least you had the chance. No, right. I never had the chance for the job. It was a process by which I was eliminated by virtue of the fact that I had to be interviewed. So the process was so untenable that I had to make a choice that day to make a fuss about it or just to walk away. And I think that sometimes we all are in that circumstance. Sometimes you just got to walk away. You know what I mean? Right. Don't, become, don't be someone's victim just to be a victim. Just walk away. It's, right. a, it's a very simple process. Well, there were, there were a lot of women that walked away from that situation who were never able to get jobs they, anywhere ever it. again. Yeah. That was really, that's a really well, tough movie know, to watch. Listen, I'm not saying that's the case, but, that's, but then again, it goes back to this. Where are you? You're in New York. You're in Los Angeles. You're in cesspools to begin with. Did you think it would be different than your, your small town in Idaho? Of course it's different. And you've walked into the – look at Matt Lauer. Who could ever think that Matt Lauer could be such an amazing monster and that the studio right. could be behind him would be so complicit in what he was doing? Say this, right. Those are monsters. Those are not regular men. Those are super right. predator monsters. Oh, so yeah. They're, 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 they're evil sons of guns. Oh, that's what I'm saying. You've got to balance the difference. I'm not just saying you have to walk away from the sexual harassment. You're in a place of pure evil. Is that really where you want to feed your kids from? Right. I'm right. sorry. I don't. I very difficult for me to understand a lot of that stuff that's going on. And you've got to know where you are when you go well, to a kind of, place like New York. You've right. got to know what you're dealing with. Yeah. Well, that kind of media, you know, uh, that kind of media is something I, I really truly do not understand because it's really cutthroat, and the way they go after it, it well, you know, the, the stuff they put up with in order to stay in that field, 
to, to go to yep. Washington and, and cover the president. It, it's really insane to me. Uh, so, but you I've never been. Like, it's like working. It's like being a waitress at the number one Hooters in the world. Right. right? The tips are great, but you've got to put up with a lot of garbage. Yes. It's just a yeah. fact. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. I apologize. Go ahead. No, 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 no. So, so, you, so you're working at Starbucks. When, when do you make your next move? When does that happen? I had met, well, this is very funny because you'll always see a guy named Michael DePasquale on my page. And I had been involved in the martial arts for quite a while. And I went to a, a in college, I went, I was dating a girl from England, an exchange student named uh, Peyton. And she was at a, a group of, Mr. Miller, if you're listening, I love you. And we went to a, a home in, in uh, Irvine that belonged to a family called the Millers. And so, I walk in, I, I don't know what a chair that's 900 years old looks like. So I take a seat and mom goes, get out of my chair. The chair's 900 years <laughs> Honey. So Mr. Miller said, hey, come on up. And as we're going up to his office, he, I start seeing these Rembrandt um, copies on the walls. And right. Rembrandt, man, Luigi's my favorite artist. So I say, hey, these are really great reproductions. He says, those aren't reproductions. I say, come again. I remember, I'm 23 years old now. And... I'm standing in front of real Rembrandt paintings in this guy's house. And he says, yeah, let me tell you how you, how you should make it in life. You should, to get rich, you need to start collecting libraries of things. I don't care what they are. You call them portfolios, actually. It could be parking lots, gold coins, paintings, right. books, whatever. He says, whatever you can get your hands on. And the only thing I could get my hands on was an old VHS camera and an old VHS editing system. So I went to the martial arts guys that I knew, and I began making these stupid videos called The Top Ten Techniques Every Martial Artist Should Know from the hmm. perspectives of each different style. And right. I didn't have a lot of money, so I sent a little quarter-page ad to Inside Karate Magazine owned by Michael DePasquale. We're going back about 30 oh, right. years now. Yeah. And I didn't have enough money for a full-page ad, but I called him. I said, hey, Mr. DePasquale. He goes, yeah, we want kids. And I go, I got this ad. I'm sending you. I only have enough for a quarter-page. Well, just send it. I said, okay. So I sent it to in. The very next month, the edition of, uh, of Inside Karate with Von Dom on the cover, uh, I flip it open, and my ad is on the inside front page. Nice. And the checks just began rolling in for these horrible, horrible VHS videos. And wow. um, I took those checks. I got a little better camera. I started doing a bigger show. I used some public access media with a director named Skip Vallier, who told me I should never be in front of a camera again, that I was the worst talent he'd ever seen. Oh and I said, thank God. you, Skip. You're fired. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Best advice I ever got. Because I knew yeah. a guy like that, if he's telling me not to do something, I got to do it, right? right? I always right. go counter to what someone tells me when, they, when they're looking to attack. You know, it's like when angry people attack on a Fox special. Go the right. other way. So I got the other camera, and I began producing these TV shows. I did a big show, the very first Latin comedy pay-per-view in the world called Muerto de la Risa. I began mm-hmm. trying to get work in front of the camera, and I... I got Rocky Five. I did Jet Li's very first American production called Masters. I played one of the masters. And it just rolled from there. But then I was only getting parts where um, I was a thug or a, a minority thug. Or oh, you were, you were in Jet Li's like movie, the, the Master? Oh, yeah. Milka Stefakonis and Dale and Corey Jacoby were in yeah. the movie. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, yeah it was fun. Yeah, I really liked that time. movie. Dude, you'll see me in the dojo smacking a couple of guys around. They never made, they didn't make me get beat up until Jet Li kicked me in the face 14 times. As a cat, <laughs> I, forgot his, I forgot the guy's name, but we were supposed to be standing up, and Jet Li runs in on the top of this ITC building and jumps and does a double flip right. and kicks us in the mouth. 
Well, Ooh. the director was Sue Hark, and me yeah. being stupid, we get in the elevator one day, and I said, hello, good morning, Mr. Hark, and he didn't answer me back. And I was Ooh. with a guy, and there was about five people in there, and, and this is about keeping your mouth shut. Right. And I said, this asshole came all the way from China and can't speak English. Oh, oh excuse my language. I'm sorry. This a-hole came all the way from China yeah. and, and, and can't speak English. Well, then they set me up for that stunt and gently kicked me in the mouth 14 wow. times. And the 13th time, he put my tooth through my lip. Ooh. But they were punishing me for opening my stupid mouth. But I did. Right. And I, I thought to that point, I will never do that again. And from there, after Rocky V, you know, there, there were some real injuries on that, on that set with Stallone and, and Tommy Gunn. But I said, I need to be behind the camera. Because I right. saw Bob Abelton uh, direct, and I said, I need to be behind the camera. Well, you played, a fighter, in here. You played a fighter in Rocky Five. I really love that film. Oh, yeah. 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 The funny thing is, man, if you, if you watch the montage, they use my real name. It, it says Tommy Gunn really? versus Wild Dell Weston. Yeah, and that's, they paid me $8,000 <laughs> extra dollars for that. It was funny wow. that they used my real I, was, I thought, thank, thank you, Hope Goodwin. I'll never forget you. Wonderful woman. <laughs> Wonderful that's woman. great. Film. But, so did did, you, did you get hurt? I never got hurt, but Todd, uh, Todd Champion and Steve Santuso took. We all took live hits from uh, from Morrison for a thousand bucks a hit. So if you if you right. let him really hit you in the ring, they give you a thousand bucks. And we, I said I said hit me all day. I, I got to pay the mortgage, right? So right. Todd Champion gets in the ring. You guys, six foot six, beautiful man who you never heard of. But look about Todd Champion. Tommy Gunn hits him so hard, he crushes his face from the eye socket to the jaw. He's number oh. one. They wheel him out, okay? Number two guy goes in. He doesn't get hurt. Number three, uh, I think it was Thunderwolf goes in. He doesn't get hurt. Number four is a guy named Steve Santuso. And Tommy hits him so hard that he falls to the canvas, but he doesn't go out. And he's, only, he's looking for something. He says, Dell, I dropped my – I think he knocked my tooth out. I said, no, Steve, he separated your jaw. We've got to get you out. And we got him out of the ring. Well, I wow. was next, and so I said, I said to uh, Tommy Gunn, hey, Tommy, you hit me like that, I'm going to break your leg. I'm just telling you how it's going to be. Don't hit me that way. You want to hit me, hit me, but don't, don't try and do damage. Well, right. I set up for the punch. There's six cameras around us, and uh, I see him drop his shoulder as he goes to throw a left hook. Well, you don't drop your shoulder. You shouldn't take somebody's head off. I mean, you can just throw the punch right. stiff, but he decided to put his whole body into it, and I see it. And I try to start turning my head just as the punch, so I could at least take some of the, the guff off of it. Right. Well, he hits me, and I say, ah, that wasn't that bad, and I walk out. Boy, was I wrong. Here's what really happened. He hit me so hard. They said I spun in the ring three times like a, little, like a, like a top. And then <laughs> I hit the rope and then fell back to the canvas. And then he helped me up, and he slapped me to wake me up. And I said, hey, Tommy, thanks. That was great. And then I, never, I don't even remember getting out of the ring. That's how hard he hit me. But that right. fantasy in your head, <laughs> I to myself, I thought that when I got on my way home that day, this is what I, I swear, this is what I thought. Man, I made a thousand bucks today. <laughs> <laughs> so Santuso and Champion sued, and I think they sued, sued uh, Paramount, Universal, Bob Abelson, and Stallone, and they each only got two, they each walked away with 200 grand, which means mm. the doctors got 200 grand, the lawyers get to, and then they get 200 grand, and then you never right. heard from either one of them again. Yeah, that right. was the end of that. Right. Well, that's that's sad. Yeah, Tommy. Oh, he was he was a hard puncher, and he was he was kind of an angry person as well. Well, he, listen, you know, he's a guy who's entitled through and through. His uncle is John Wayne. You know, he's got legacy, and he can actually fight. But after you know, in that in Rocky Five, he hit eight of us in total. Right, hurt, hit all total. 
Well, you can imagine my glee when two years later he had to fight a guy named Ray Mercer, this merciless Ray Mercer, in a fight. If you watch that fight on YouTube, you can look it up, Ray Mercer versus Tommy Gunn. Mercer hits him in the corner at one point, and Tommy Gunn goes out. Well, the ref right. doesn't see that Tommy's out. Tommy Mercer's out. So uh, Mercer hits him eight more times. And I <sighs> met Ray Mercer three years ago, and I said, hey, Ray. I put a video up on YouTube, and I met him. I said, hey. You're the guy who avenged everybody in Rocky Five. He said, "Yes, I am." <laughs> yes, I am. He beat, he was merciless, man. It was really yeah. a great fight, but it was funny how things come around, man. Things right. Come around. So, so you, you get hit there in Rocky Five. You decide that I need to be behind the camera. So, what do you what do you do after that? I started making movies. I made a I made a, mm-hmm. a film called Camden, shot on film, with my then partner. And a really great crew about it at Same Asylum where people were being, you know, uh, who we didn't see the underbelly of what was going on. And the underbelly wasn't bad. It was love. And people, right. didn't, they weren't, they, people wanted to see what's with the cuckoo's nest. So I wasn't about that. And I shot a uh, film called uh, uh, Split. And I began doing TV, episodic television shows. And I went to work for Animagic where I was an art director and camera operator. And I began just training myself in my craft. And I got lucky enough to work at a comedy club called the Ice House in Pasadena for about 10 years. I started out doing security. By the time right. I left, I was managing and running night. I'd already been booking bands for a decade. So I was getting a lot of experience with comics and, and musicians and actors and entertainers. And I just shot a bunch of stuff that I was nice. too ashamed to show now. But it gave me experience. And right. uh, I got a gig running a Persian television station called PARS. And I had a year where I actually just ran a TV station in a foreign language. And, you know, we did 50 live shows a week. And they had been used to just running reruns. I went and took the place over. And it was a great – they hated my guts. I never met a more racist group of people in my life. They just hated everything. But uh, it was a turbulent time. No, I'm serious, right. man. If I no, no, no. And, and took a mop and cleaned up, they'd say, why are you cleaning? I said, get away from me. So right. I ran it for a year, but I learned something about actual operations and how to run people and, and, and processes and schedules and budgets. And that was just the greatest incubator you could have. And mm. uh, from there, I just began, I created the film festival uh, 16 years ago. And I continued to make movies and shows and TV. I had shows on Spike TV. One was called Reality Racing, the Wookiee Challenge. We produced the AOF channel on NBC which is nice. a, a, a show built on the festival. And, and we just continued to rock, you know, and now I've got three films coming out this year. The, the horse film we did behind the gate with Joe Pesci almost eight years ago, just finally got a release from uh, Nelson Madison films. So you nice. can see that uh, uh, on a bunch of different uh, platforms. And I did a beautiful film with uh, one of my best idols ever was, was a guy named Nick Mancuso. Nick, I wish I'd never met you. So he, he was my hero. <laughs> so I met him. No, serious. But yeah. uh, he did a great job in a film called Sonny and Ray Ray. I was able to produce with um, okay. Harry Lennox, David Steen, Bobby Eakes, uh, Nick Mancuso. It was just a great thing. And that's now on Vimeo. It stars Jalissa Lynn. And it nice. finally came out. And it's, the film still holds up. So we got some things in the, in the hopper. And we're moving that's forward. That's nice. So, so when did you start that the, the, the festival? I mean, how did that come about? Did that when did you start it? Another karate guy, my, my Kimpo father, uh, Frank Treo, and he was involved with a cat named Steve Cooper out of Long Beach, and they were at odds. And Frank wanted to grow the old Ed Park Internationals in a way, and Steve had a concept. But they, Frank took me to meet him and said, we want to engage this and open it up. And 
So they, they literally paid me to create the, the AOS Festival as part of that show. And I came up with the concept and, and, and the execution. And uh, three years later, they had a falling out. And I said, I'm leaving too. And I took AOF with me and I moved up to Pasadena. And we put it in actual theaters with these huge award shows and dinners and parties. And it, it became its own little thing. And people started to like it. And, right. you know, we started adding to it. And then three, four years ago, we created something called Megafest, which was taking a bunch of different festivals as an incubator and allowing mm. them to operate in the same venue as we were for the same time period. And so now you have 17 different shows taking place. It's called the AOS Megafest. It's this year right. in Vegas, it's scheduled for July 23rd through August 2nd. And, you know, knock wood, this whole virus issue will have been cleared up by that enough for the public to return to the theaters and to life. I think it will. Right. Um, and that's what we have now. And we've launched a new thing with that called No Risk Fee Fest, NoRiskFeeFest.com. And that's simply put, we've turned the model for submitting films and scripts to film, to film festivals on its head. We will watch your movie or read your script before we tell you if we'll accept it. So you don't pay until after we've taken the time and responsibility to watch your project. Yeah, that's I hate a good the fact thing. That as a filmmaker, well, I hate the fact that as a filmmaker, I've spent tens of thousands of dollars on submission fees of shows that never even had an intention of showing my work, good, bad, or indifferent. So I want to commune with the filmmaker and writer community as a writer and a filmmaker right. and say, no, we risk with you. We will watch your stuff. We will read your script. And if it's going to work in our competition, we'll tell you then you pay the submission fees. If not, don't waste a dime. So right. I think it will be very successful. The early numbers are back pretty um, strong, and you're going to hear a bunch of different podcasts and promotions we're doing with different entities. And we're just in the works now for the very first time of doing a live streaming of much of the festival um, for people who can't make it to uh, Las Vegas this year. And right. so it'll be in, you, you won't get the live aspect, but if you're in – you know, uh, Switzerland or Iceland or Germany or Paris or, or, or Frankfurt, you can't get here. It'll be a great way to enjoy some of the highlights of the show. Uh, have you, have, have you planned? I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Continue. No, please. And we just partnered with a new company that I think is very substantial. Um, they're, at, they're up for it. We're up for it. So we're working on the details now. And as soon as the deal is inked, I'll be making a big announcement. We'll be doing our Facebook ads and we'll just see a lot more promotion floating around. Right. And uh, it should be a good thing. Now, what do you do in a time like this about your about your festival? I, I know you 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 want everything to be fine and clear by July or close to August, but but what 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 goes into that planning? Uh, I mean, well, nobody knows. Listen, listen, nobody, We've never been yeah, through anything like this. Anything. The, Span, the Spanish, you know, the Spanish flu in nineteen eighteen. So it's we don't yeah. know what's going to happen. But what do you do in times like this? Well, we do, you, to, do you still watch the films? Yeah, we yeah. Have, listen, you have good indicators. And here's the process. For me, it's business as usual. If something right. happens and we've got to postpone, which I doubt, a month, then we just postpone it. But we don't cancel the show. We do, and we don't tell you there's no credit for your submission. We don't do that kind of thing. That makes me sick. But I think a lot of the smaller festivals right now are thanking God that this coronavirus has hit and now they don't have to run their show because they've got to keep the submission fees from the writers and filmmakers. They got their sponsor dollars in, and they're not responsible to even throw a show, right? Wow. So they, they get free money for a year. I'm 100% against that. No matter right. what, we're going to have a 2020 season, right? That's just, a, that's right. just what it is. We took the money. We're going to have it. End of story. Right. So 
I operate just like everything else is going the way it's going because I've been here before. I lived through SARS, MERS, Legionnaire disease, Ebola, all these things, all these years. And this is one of the weakest ones I've ever seen for number of deaths and, 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 and infections. But I think there's something else going on right now that mm. makes it a much bigger thing. You know, Ebola killed millions, and they still don't have a cure for it. And the people in Africa are still suffering for it, but no one cares. One right. small thing happens here, all of a sudden the whole world changes. You know, I can't go right. outside. You know, I can't do this. I can't meet. Come on now. There's, a, there's something that's happening here that I think we've never experienced before. You know, I'll be completely sport. honest with you. You know, I, I haven't seen a, a, a lot of things in Africa that people care about, you know, when it comes to like media <laughs> or social media or, or even, the, even, even uh, you know, when it comes down to politics. I have not seen a lot of people care about what happens down there. So I'm very, I'm very shocked that even the coronavirus hasn't really reached out in that direction. I mean, it reached out to, I believe, the Congo. Uh, but I, yeah. I, I think it's isolated just to there. Well, they have other problems going on. I mean, listen, you go to Haiti, there's diseases that are afraid to go there. They know they can't right. survive. No. People can take it. <laughs> you know, I'm telling you, yeah. you want to go to I Haiti? Know. No. I know. No, Godzilla's, af- Godzilla's afraid to go to Haiti. Yeah, they got so many Haiti, problems. Right? Yeah. That's Satan's territory, man. But I'm just, it's like Africa, right? You have right. slavery. You have genocide. And now they have these giant locust swarms that are eating every single right. crop there, right? right. You've got to look at all this stuff and say, listen, this is biblical at one point because it is, number one. But number two, I think it's also political. And I, forgive me for talking out of school. But I truly believe one of the effects of what – there's going to be four effects. America will bring its manufacturing home. America will depend more so on itself for its own supply chain um, uh, items and industry and textiles right. and, and everything else. America will become more of an isolated country, and I really believe in the next two, three weeks you're going to see a, a solution to a lot of the homeless problems in these bigger cities. I think I they've already so. isolated the people who they could isolate, and now they have to go in and get those people – put them into military bases or FEMA camps, clean them up, see what meds they need, find out who they are, and stop the possibility of these diseases spreading in that cloistered, filthy community of people who don't even have access to soap and water. How are you going to tell me to wash my hands 20 times a day? These people don't have water or soap or baths or medicine. Reverend Al Sharpton is actually bringing that point to, to, to the forefront right now about the homeless situation, about how they, if they, you know, if they get the coronavirus, I mean, it could be really, really bad, really fast. Well, listen, Al Sharpton's a pimp um, from his soles of his feet to the top of his processed hair. And I think anywhere <laughs> you find money, you're going to find that, that pig. No, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not joking. I'm not telling you why. I know you're he's not joking. Great for the African... He's a, he's a disgrace to the African-American community. He's a disgrace to the religious community. And he's a race-baiting thug. And what this yeah. guy is doing, homelessness, homelessness existed where he was for the last lifetime that he's lived. Yet you never see him helping a homeless person until now. Oh, gee, it's coronavirus. I bet I can make a buck. I can't right. stand guys like that. It makes me sick. <laughs> it's, that's the same as Richard Burr and Lofgren and Feinstein for trading stocks on insider information. You know, it's the, it's the same side, two, the different side of, two, of the same coin. Mm-hmm. Both of these groups, you know, one operating on one set of rules and the other operating on the other set of rules, and none of it good for the people they're supposed to be serving. It's disgusting. Well, there's, there's a lot of people that are, that are hoarding money. And, 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 you know, that, 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 whole, that, that whole trading stocks was, was very scary, was, was, was quite frightening. You know, what's interesting about that is that you saw a bipartisan 
function. You, you saw Fox News and you saw CNN, but all everybody asking for the resignation of these people, which is, you know, they it's really resign. hard to get. It's, it's really hard. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the reasons why we created certain laws. So these people couldn't do these things. You know, they find about a pandemic. Well, I, they say everything's fine. And they, yeah. You know, they're, 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 trading, they're trading on the floor. I'm going to ask you a question. You tell me if I'm, if I'm right or wrong. Yep. How does Maxine Waters live in a $6 million home after going into politics for 40-some-odd years? Right. How do how does these people – I'm tell, this woman has the, the brain capacity of a very small child who, who died 300 years ago. Trust me. She had, there's nothing going on up in that cuckoo bird head. How does this woman trade on her community and live in a $6 million home where her constituents are living in poverty? That's all I want to know. Hmm. The fix is in, man. The fix is right. in. Politics is a, we got politics is a, yeah, it's a very difficult and, and complex situation. You know, what I used to learn in political science is that if it was an easy problem, it wouldn't be a problem. But how does, how does that, how does that, have you seen a change in, in the films that are coming into your, into your festivals that reflect like the way the world is right now, like bombshell and, and oh, what 100%. have you? You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. The, well, here's the funny thing. You know, for a long time, it was, I had a woman submit a film about a guy brushed her by accident on a train, and um, she then went down and filed a uh, an assault charge against the guy, who literally just happened to brush her, right? But in right. her head, you had this whole thing. Well, I had a lot of films like that come in over a period of time. And right. then I had a lot of films come in about war and veterans for a long time, mm-hmm. the last six years, just a huge number of war right. and PTSD and all was this film. And now what I'm seeing is a return back to pure entertainment. And that's just a trend that I'm noticing in both the writing, the political side of it is still around 15%. The, the cause side of it is still around 7%. But I'm getting a lot of just pure entertainment. I think that harkens a time, nice. such as when we had the stock market crashes, when you had the Great Depression, where people turned to entertainment to find a way of, of, of reaching out for some type of hope. And so I think we're seeing, I'm at least, I don't know about all the other shows, but I'm not a political show, although we show political work. I'm right. seeing where there's a lot more just pure entertainment coming in. And that, right. that tells me that either, A, we're in a really bad time where people don't have enough time, where they, have, where they don't have enough time to, to, to wax poetic about politics. They're really just wanting to not be involved in any more garbage and silliness. Right. And there's been a lot of that over the last couple of years, as we know. Well, I went to a festival in Arizona, and, and a lot of the films that, that a lot of these young artists were making were based on, you know, addiction to drugs or PTSD mm-hmm. or the mm-hmm. Me Too movement mm-hmm. and what have you. And so I yeah. saw that there was a lot of politics involved with a lot of young artists creating their work out there. Do you find that to be the same? Or like I know you mentioned that there's no. a lot of entertainment is, be, is being done right now. Yeah, I don't, I don't see that as much, and I think the problem is that you know this, and I'm not in any way insulting the generation or two below us. I'm or right. me because you're much younger than me. I'm just saying that they they are not tough. They are hmm. used to being catered to. They got participation trophies, not first, second, or third. Right? It's a right. hard lesson not to win, but the lesson you need to learn. And everyone is not singing kumbaya. And while Oprah may be uh, opening schools in Africa, she still got her hands. Uh, on Harvey uh, Weinstein's crotch, and they can pretend that they don't, but these these two-sided people who pretend one thing 
but are something quite different underneath the covers, you know, that's, that's what they're not used to dealing with. They think everybody is, is around for their use. And when you flip the coin, you'll find out that we're actually here for every service. I don't produce the festival to get rich. I produce the festival as a service. Right. And that is a service to the artistic community. Yes, it's been good for me and my family. Yes, it's worked out great. But the point is, it's a point of service. And I think younger people don't understand. Even though there's some great young people out there, they don't understand right. the, the, the sacrifice that the greatest generation made. They don't understand what the war was about. And that's why I think shows like The Hunter or Hunter on, on, on Amazon is getting so mm. much hate and polarization because they're actually having to see some of the things that were done to people by one right. by another group of people. And right. that's hard to take. And so they want to turn away from that. But the fact of the matter is it was a harsh reality. It was a harsh reality. You need to know about that because you don't right. want it to happen again. Right. Are, are there any show? I mean, you're, you're at home right now. Are, are there any shows that you're, that you're binging right now? You know, I don't binge watch shows per se. I just watch everything. And I, and I yeah. think about it a little differently, but I just finished watching um, um, the hunters, the hunters on, on Amazon. And I try yeah, to watch great. things that, 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 that challenge me that I may necessarily not really enjoy, but I want to, I want to see the other perspective. And we right. just watched the, the new season of Supernatural. And I can oh, yeah. tell you, that is the most, it's the most blasphemous, silly, horrible season. And it's the last season. So it, it really piqued my interest. I said, I want to see this because I want to see if my children find it disgusting when they begin calling God a dick on that show, which they do, right? Really? And, oh, yeah, they, they have God personified as a character named Chuck. And so they say, well, Chuck's a dick. Well, they know that Chuck is referring to God, so they try to hide right. it in that. And I wanted, I said, does this bother you? My son goes, Dad, this makes me sick. I said, good, keep watching. Because I wanted to develop <laughs> a sense for what is wrong. If you, will, if you won't watch what makes you uncomfortable and only what makes you comfortable, you never know what the other half of the world is thinking. And right. it's very difficult. So I try and challenge them. To, and, and also entertain, of course, with shows like the, the, uh, the great, great um, – uh, space show uh, that was taken from the uh, Billy Mummy show, Lost in Space, back in the oh, yeah. 60s. Boy, did Netflix do a great job with that show. Oh, I wow. love that show. Yeah. It's what a blast. A show, man. Yeah. And the technical side of it, the art, the creation, the color, the contrast, the compositions of the shots, the character development. It's, right. It's, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I love that show. You know, another show that I really like is Sabrina the Teenage Witch. I really love that show. The show is yeah, I dark. And, yeah, I heard it was, it's, yeah. it's dark. Yeah, it used to be a comedy show on, 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 on the uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's TV not a comedy show anymore. There, you know, not <laughs> a comedy show. That's, but that's har- I think it's a harbinger for what's really coming out there in the world, man. Right. You know, everyone's being introduced to demons and to genocide and rape and murder and all these things. Right? You know, you show a breath, you're a criminal. But you cut right. a girl up sixty different ways from Sunday. Oh, I love his style. Well, you oh, know that was a, that, that was the generation we grew up in. The generation we grew up in was you know you can watch as much violence as you want, but sex was a bad thing. That's the, so you had to turn that around, man. I mean, you really because I think when they said sex was a bad thing, that also meant that love, kindness, compassion, tenderness were right. bad things as well because that leads right. to sex, right? But they don't mind chopping off heads and impaling right. people. You watch a. And Eli Roth film, you got a dog eating some guy's penis, and that's supposed to be funny. I'm like, yeah, this is just craziness out there. <laughs> yeah, Eli Roth, Eli Roth makes some crazy stuff. The Green Inferno? Oh, my yeah. goodness. 
<laughs> you seen that? Yeah, I have seen it. Yeah. You gotta watch that. You gotta watch that movie. I mean, just for the, you know, he he says that if people walk out of an audience that I'm in, that I'm happy that I did my job. If they walk out of the screening, and I'm like, yeah, you might have that film thing backwards, pal. You might have yeah. it a little bit backwards. It's not to disgust people to the fact that they can't watch it just because you enjoy making disgusting things. There's another another process to it. I think you get that with films like uh, things like The Green Book. What a magnificent film on every level. I like, you know, I like Green Book, Eagle. yeah. Oh, what a great film, man. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I had my kids go back and watch Super 8 um, by Spielberg. Yeah. Right? If they'd never seen it before. They're like, Dad, that movie's really cool. I'm like, yeah, wait till you see The Midnight Cowboy. <laughs> you think that's good? <laughs> Midnight, Cow- Midnight Cowboy is a really great film. That's a really it's great movie. Amazing, it's an amazing film. and. <laughs> People that you know don't understand that you know one of my favorite films in the world is The Verdict with Paul Newman and James. Oh Mason. yeah, uh-huh. oh my dude, Charlotte Rampling in that yeah. film when she takes that smack, you know you're like wow, you don't feel bad he did it either. That's the thing, right? And you're looking at the times now. Now they get women, you know. I, I think Michelle Rodriguez killing people, you know, in Fast and the Furious. And, you're chopping off heads and cutting cars up and, you know, murdering the cross. And people love that crap. They right. really think it can happen. I got to tell you, most people can't get math on a tip right, let alone driving a car at 250 miles an hour while having sex, talking to their child, and killing bad guys. It don't happen. People right. are capable. So all that fantasy should, you know, I like things that are real. And that story, the right. verdict was based on a real case a real lawyer, a real situation. I got to tell you, wow, just amazing. Are, are, the, are those kind of films the ones that you gravitate towards in your festivals? Uh, no, uh, it's unfair for me to choose um, the focus of the festival. So I have five of the people I work with who do that. Because right. if it was up to me, you'd be watching films from the 1970s all day long. You know, just gotten <laughs> hardcore and playing every night at eight. Right, but listen, listen. I'm old and 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 set in my ways, and so I keep three groups of people around me. I keep a group right. that's at least two generations below me, and at least one generation above me, around me at all times, and that keeps me connected to everything that's going on. And they also influence to a very high degree what it is that I do, and it's the only right. fair way for me to to perform. So they're the ones who go into the, the film market. They they look at all the films that are being pulled in, and and they're the ones who make judgments on whether it goes. Into your festival no, 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 no. It's a, it's a little different. It's a, it's a little different. Um, okay. We they're in all parts of the country. We have people that are actually in Europe who watch our screen our films too. Nice. And everyone screens different sections, and so they vote, and it's it's surely by points. And there's a ten point system. We have ten categories. Each category is worth ten points, and it just comes down to how you score. Period. End of story. Nice. Now we do we do have a. Um, a, a trend of accepting previously accepted filmmakers and writers before because we want to be a part of their history of filmmaking. You grandfather them in. It, yeah. Oh, not, not all of them, but we try yeah. to a very high degree. We used to do it for sure. Right. But then this, this really skanky filmmaker, uh, out there, first name is Claire. I won't say anything else. I won't. Claire W-A-P. Right. That's what it was. I think it was her, her initials. W-A-P. I think that's what it was. Anyway, I won't. I don't want to get in trouble, but she filed a complaint with the Better Business Bureau because we didn't accept a film she made after being a submitting filmmaker. I said well, it was just not as good as your previous work. So she right. filed a, uh, a, and I laughed so hard. I said, "Here's your fifty bucks back, but you just killed a program that had helped 
literally thousands of filmmakers know where they were going to screen and whether right. scripts would be in competition because you did you made an inferior film and demanded it. I, I don't do things that people demand me to do. It's, it's a silly position. You know, right. I'm here to help. You ask for something, you can have it, but to demand and say that your work is better than someone else's, and you haven't seen their work? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I, had a, I had a guy, this is a true story, I had a guy fly from New York to the festival and tell me he was going to beat my, my rear end. On the phone, right. he threatened me. Wow. I said, well, come on down, Slick. So his name, his first name was Daniel. He knows who right. he is. He shows up. I said, I'm someone. I said, well, I got a choice. I'll buy you a beer. I'll beat your ass right here. He said, what you want is fine with me. Well, this right. up, he takes the beer. And we sit down with a filmmaker named Brian Gabe, uh, Brendan Gabriel Murphy. And Brendan says, you came out here to do what? He says, how would you know your film is better than anything else that's in the show? Have you seen all the movies? And the guy goes, no. And he goes, there's something wrong with you, man. Right. <laughs> I'll never right. forget that. This cat came all the way he could because he thought that his work was better than someone else, but he hadn't seen the other person's work. How did right. you know? Right. How, do, how would you know? That's, it's an amazing thing. But that, I love that must be very, that must be very difficult to go through, you know, to, to listen to these filmmakers complain about other people's work without seeing it. That's a tough thing to take, you know. I it's 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 like me complaining get, uh, about my my ex wife's boyfriends when I never met them. You know what I mean? Right. She's giving me the fantasy version, so naturally I think I'm better. But how do I know there's someone who's better suited for her? You don't know. It's your ego. Right. Get rid right. of the ego. You'll be okay. Right. Let it go. That that, that is the that is the ego. That's all. Let me tell you something. It's all ego. It's mm. all. Listen, when that guy told me that I should be out of film, it was only ego that kept me in. So in some right. cases, ego works for you, but right. to a very high degree, oof, oof. Mm. right. Ego works well so for you. Arrogance, that. arrogance does not. Now, I've never met an arrogant person who who could stay in the room long enough to really make a difference. They're out there, right. and that usually comes from from knowing the fact that they're just not able to, to, to produce what they think they can produce. So arrogance. Right. You know, I, I had a show, I guess I had a show on Spike called Reality Racing, the Rookie Challenge. We did auditions all across the country for people to race cars against professional race car drivers. Hmm. Every person, male, female, old, young, black, white, European, domestic, whatever, they all had the same answer for me when I asked them one question. What makes you think you can beat a professional race driver who's been doing this for years? The same answer would come from every one of them. Oh, I just know I can win. I'm better than them. I just know I'm going right. to win. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> I, sir, I'm going to need 800 of the blue pill, please, and 19,000 <laughs> of the red ones. <laughs> We're going to do some reverse engineering here. <laughs> yeah. You know, some of these people want to live in the Matrix, you know. <laughs> they all think they, they made the Reservoir Dogs stuck. or something. <laughs> no, they, they're stuck, and that tube doesn't go into their back. It goes right up their rear end and out their mouth. Man, they don't know. Right. They don't right. understand. You know, I, I get the, you know, I saw a license plate today. I put it on Facebook. Maybe I shouldn't have done it, but I saw a license plate that said Godless. G O D L E S S. Godless. And I, so I pulled up next to the car and I took a picture of the plate, and then I pulled next to the driver because I already had a, a, an image in my mind of what this person must surely look like. I said, because this is a harsh statement, Godless. Right. And I pull up to the car, and this person looked exactly like you would think a person who had a license plate that says godless looked like. And mm. I thought to myself, 
I am so sorry for your life experience. I feel so right. bad for you. Right. I did. I feel horrible for her because she just looked like everything that could go wrong was wrong. You know, just right. like nothing was right. And I, oh, man. Ugh. Right. But she had the balls to put that on her car. You know, she had, the, she had that tube running right up her rear end. <laughs> she's in the matrix man i know it, you know it, it, it's tough for me to see people who are more than happy to, to show who they really are deep down inside in a public way it's like that's that's tough oh. you know you're 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 hitting you're hitting the another attribute of the biblical times we live in when people have lost all shame and right. That is an amazing thing when they when they when they lose all shame. Shame is there for a reason, and sometimes shame is good, especially when you do something evil, wrong, or stupid. You shouldn't right. be ashamed. And what right. we have now are people saying, "I'm going to live my truth." What do you mean your truth? Your <laughs> truth is no different than my truth. Here's the truth: you're stupid. Live that truth for a little while. Right. My truth. I you know, it's, it's funny. Just recently, just recently, I said that to somebody. It's like, shouldn't you be ashamed sometimes? I mean, you know, we're not all great, and shame does teach you something. Right. Well, if you don't have shame, you think what you've done is perfect. Right. And who among us is perfect? I'll tell you who. Nobody. So you're going to do dumb things. That's called life. You know, when my son was about three, he broke into a box of C's chocolate. Kid had chocolate everywhere. I mean, chocolate in places chocolate shouldn't go. And I said, hey, did you have some chocolate? Right. He said, no. And then you break into the chocolate? <laughs> no. So you didn't have any candy? No. And he's licking his fingers as he's talking to me. And I'm like, so you, nothing, right? The point is, you don't have to teach a child to lie. A child will just lie. That's just human nature, right? But right. a child that's good will say later, daddy, I lied. I did have chocolate. Right, and which is what he right. did. Like ten minutes later, he said, "Daddy, I feel bad. I I did have chocolate." I said, "Okay, well, thank you for telling me. You can go have some more because I'm not cleaning you up. I'd wait for your mother to get home. Enjoy yourself." Right. right. But the point was, he felt shame enough to come back and admit that his his guilt bothered him, and he should not spread that into the world by spreading it to his sister or his friends or his cousins, carrying that lie all the way through. And I think right. that people now they hide behind. Well, this is my truth. Well, listen, you're a moron. Your truth is a lie. But the right. same thing applies to us all. You're, not, you're no different because your experience was different. You're the same. So my, this silliness of my truth and I don't feel ashamed, well, you know, maybe you should. You did something really bad. Maybe you should right. feel ashamed. <laughs> well, Del, our, our time is up. But before we go, I, I want our audience to know, how could they get in touch with you? You know, how, 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 can we, how can we reach all the different departments of Dell Weston? Well, first of all, I want them to go to No Risk Fee Fest, no, R-I-S-K-F-E-E-F-E-S-T.com, No Risk Fee Fest, and learn about how to change the model for how you're treated by film festivals and film festival submission platforms. You should have the power over your own work and your own dollars. That's number one. For Megafest, go to actiononfilmfest.com, actiononfilmfest.com. And on Facebook, it's just Dell AOF Weston. Dell, like Action on Film Weston, Dell AOF Weston. And, nice. you know, check me out and let me know about what you're doing in your work. I love to meet new filmmakers and writers and to engage with them. And uh, thank you for the opportunity to do that, Steve Peace. I love the show. I love the mental health program that you do. I absolutely love both platforms. 
Thank you, my friend. Thank you, my friend. You know, I, I've, I've always respected you. I always liked you very, very much. Thank you for being on the show today. It was, it was, a, it was an eye-opener and, uh, and really revealing. It was very nice. Well, well, with regards to the affinity and to the respect, you're looking at a marriage, sir. I feel the exact same way. Thank you, my friend. You have yourself a great day. Thank that you. is the great, great Dell Weston. There you go, my friend. Wow. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> have a great day. Thank you. You have yourself a great day, my friend. I'll see you soon. All right. Bye-bye. Well, that's the great Dell Weston, everybody. Do you have a good time? I tell you that Dell does not um, sugarcoat what he wants to say. He definitely tells you how he how he feels and and, uh, and what he means when he says things. It, it certainly comes comes clear. I'm really hoping that festival goes through. I'm really hoping and praying that uh, and meditating on, on the fact that the coronavirus or COVID-19 will, will back down in time for all of us to celebrate film and cinema together. These are unsure times, but, you know, we've been through these things before. We've been through things that are similar to this. This is something different. But we, we're strong as a people. We're very strong. And I have faith in all of us. I have faith in you. That was great to hear about all the films he was in. Rocky Five, that was great. The, the Master is a great film. If you ever get the chance to watch The Master with Jet Li, that is a great film. And he did say something there that was very important, which was if you say something on set, you're definitely going to pay for it in some way or the other. Especially if it's negative. People don't really like negativity on a set. I've learned that the hard way. These are unsure times. We don't know what's going to happen. But isn't life really like that? We don't know what's going to happen. A little bit of fear motivates all of us. If you have that book that you've been wanting to write, write it now. If you wanted to write that movie, write it now. If you wanted to read that book or watch that movie, watch it or read it now. What this is showing all of us is that there is no time like the present. Life is a gift. Take advantage of it. Not in the way that Del Weston and I were talking about earlier about how people take advantage of each other, but take advantage of this time to self-reflect. Look deep within yourself. Forgive those that you haven't forgiven before. Move on with your life. Start reflecting on what the positive aspects of existence are. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. It is not guaranteed. And that's the frightening thing about what's happening right now, is that this is a proof positive moment that security and and, and insurance is, is not really there for this. 
you look at an 80-year-old and you're 20 and you go, well, I'm going to live longer than you. And then you walk across the street and you get hit by a car. Well, that ain't true, is it? It's not true. When you say goodbye to somebody, saying hello to them is never a guarantee. Forgive. Forgiveness. Forgive yourself. I know it's easy for me to say. It's very difficult to practice. Be well, everybody. I hope the conversation, I hope what happened today, I hope Del Wesson gave you a little bit of insight into his world and, and the world of uh, independent filmmaking and film festivals. I love you all. And thank you so much for listening to the show. I'm your host, Steve Pisa, and this is Cinema Files Radio. We'll talk really soon. Really soon. Thank you for listening. Be well. Take care of yourself. Take care of your family. All my love to you.